Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I am always happy to be here with you and you can always send me a voice message and ask a question, suggest a guest, pick a topic. It will be in the show notes, so just look out for those or send an email to 13th Avenue Media at gmail.com. That's spelled out 13th Avenue is spelled out media at gmail.com. September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, and we are going to be talking about suicide. So please, if you are in need of help, reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. We need you here with us. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. I am so happy today to bring you a new friend. His name is Daryl Stinson. He's the founder of Second Chance Athletes. Say hello. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in today. (laughs) I'm so excited. I know that it's going to be great. We're going to have a great discussion. So, Daryl, I'm a huge advocate for mental health, September being Suicide Prevention Month. Um, and, and you working with athletes and being an athlete, I'm very, very excited to have this conversation today. So Daryl, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what led you to where you are? Yeah. So, um, you can go to my website, uh, darylstinson.com or Daryl at second chance athletes. If you want to email me, if we want to connect, but I, I think what I want people to know more than like what I do is what I stand for. And I believe in abundance and I believe that there's enough love, peace, joy, happiness, friendship, money in this world that no one should live in lack if they so choose to desire. And that's my core belief. And if that resonates with you, then that's what I stand for. And um, but yeah, I am a suicide survivor. I played football at Central Michigan University. And um, I, like many other athletes, had this dream of playing professionally. And I didn't want to just play professionally. I wanted to be the best athlete of all time. I wanted to be the next Michael Jordan, the next, you name your favorite athlete, I wanted to be the best. And um, I was 6'5", super fast, super big, super talented. Um, My freshman year, I ended up getting hurt and I had to have an emergency back surgery or my left leg was going to be paralyzed. And I talk a little bit about that story in my TEDx talk, Overcoming Rejection. And when um, I got done with my surgery, my coaches told me that, hey, you know, um, you can still come around football whenever you want. We value your voice as a leader, but um, we'll honor your scholarship and we'll let you focus on your education. Win-win scenario for me. But for me, sports was not what I did. It was who I was. And when your identity is attached to your activity, you make poor decisions. And so I signed a liability waiver so that I can be able to come back on the field and play again. And just to tell you the extremity of the situation, um, after my back surgery, I was supposed to be in no contact with like physical contact with anyone for 12 months. (laughs) I was back on the field starting within three. Oh my goodness. Yes. (laughs) And I did so at a cost to my health. So when you are a division one athlete, 
and you're from the streets and you have an injury, you can get anything you want drug related. So I had opioid subscriptions. I had drugs from the streets and I was taking all these drugs to numb my pain so I can continue to play the game. And it worked. I earned a starting position, but I did so at a cost of my health. I was manipulating the healthcare system, getting multiple epidural shots in my back. I was like um, getting nerve killings. I was like, uh, <laughs> I was buying drugs off the street in order to numb the pain. And it just got to the point where going into my senior year, I was taking so many opioids that my blood was thinning. Because remember, when your identity is attached to your activity, you make poor decisions. And so I knew what I was doing was wrong, but I just kept doing it in hopes that I would just make it to the NFL, get this huge contract, get drafted number one, and figure out how to have some crazy expensive surgery that takes the pain away so I can continue to be the best player of all time. And um, I was taking so many opioids to the point where every time I made contact on the field, my nose would bleed. And the coaches saw that I was doing something wrong. And they said, look, we don't know what you're doing, but, but we've got to let you go. Um, and up until this point, I had hid all this stuff I was doing for my coaches and my teammates for the most part. And so they kicked me off the team going into my senior year. And that's where I had to face the depression. And I use that intentionally. And you know this, that depression is kind of like this nasty negative voice that just whispers to you all the time. And the, the more that you don't confront it, the stronger it gets. I always say that depression grows in darkness, but it multiplies in silence. And so as I was being silent about my struggle this whole time, just hoping that football would take it all away. And for some people it might not be a sport. It could be a job. It could be a relationship, whatever you use to not have to deal with what's going on internally <laughs> is what I did. I was externally very successful, but I was internally a failure. And um, I had to face that and I didn't want to. Um, there was a lot of things that I knew that I hadn't applied myself in my education. I knew that people were going to find out I was selling drugs. I knew that, um, I was a failure, I had to face the failure as an athlete, like all these things that I was avoiding. Um, I had to face now that sports wasn't consuming so much of my time and to make a long story short, I didn't want to face it. <laughs> I just started getting real depressed and I was confiding in a girlfriend that I had dated for four and a half years who I was planning to marry. Uh, but since I was no longer going to the NFL, she left me and got engaged to another man. Oh so football's gone. This relationship I'm confiding in is gone. So I figure, hey, nobody's going to care about me if they don't know if I'm not a star athlete. And obviously, my girlfriend just left me for that reason. So what? Why am I here? And then um, I well, I knew that I was gifted uh, other things, but I didn't think that I would be fulfilled by anything like I was at sports. So that thought of like, man, the future is not going to be brighter than the past is what kind of fueled that depression as well. And so, you know, I just started toying around with suicidal ideations, you know, um, making multiple attempts. I would, you know, swallow a whole bottle of my opioid pills, hoping that I wouldn't wake up the next day. And I would mix it with alcohol, hoping that I would uh, get in a car and get in a car drive, hoping that I would get in a car accident. Um, you know, I remember writing my suicide letter and I remember like passive aggressively, and, and this is helpful for people to hear if they're struggling with this, because I've noticed that people who struggle with depression and specifically suicide, since this is suicide prevention month, that we tend to throw out like half truths, right? Just give people enough, like it's like a, like a, like a, a call for help, 
but it's not a strong signal. And we use that to validate our insecurities. So we'll say things like, you know, hey, you know, like we'll, we'll hint at the fact that maybe we're going through something, but we won't just say like, I'm having a hard time. I don't want to live anymore. But we'll just say like, hey, I've been down lately. And we'll see how people respond to that. And if they don't respond with like emergency crisis mode, then we'll be like, oh, they don't care about me. And I was, right. I was playing that game for a long time. When in reality, people just thought I was doing, they, they were only responding to the level of vulnerability that I was showing them. That's a good point. So That's I teach people point. that vulnerability, vulnerability is like a Batman signal for help. Mm. The, mo the more vulnerable you are, the more people can rescue. If you want suicide help, make a suicide call, mm. <laughs> a suicide signal so that people can respond accordingly. But don't send out a uh, down one day signal and expect suicide prevention help. Yeah. Um, especially when you got people that look up to you because you're a high achiever, a high performer. So I was doing that game for a while and, and, you know, eventually it just got real bad. I tried to go through this spree where I tried to starve myself to death, went from 275 pounds to 219 pounds in four weeks. And I just didn't want to live. And uh, thankfully I had a mother who, when I was getting ready to drive and go off a bridge, she threw herself on the hood of the car and begged me um, to allow her to take me to get help. And she uh, took me to the psychiatric unit in Detroit, Michigan. And it was there that I had this real life-changing experience where two separate people who didn't know each other uh, came into my psychiatric room and said the same thing for me to say yes to my faith and my future, which is what my podcast is based off when I said yes. And when I did that, the depression I was facing, it immediately vanished. Wow. And um, I started, I had something that I didn't have in a long time, hope. Mm. And the moment I had hope, that was just enough. That was just a small light at the end of the tunnel to keep me going. And that began my journey to figure out what my purpose in life was, what my true identity outside of my activity was. And I went through five years of just being a complete geek trying to figure all of that out. Like I TEDx talks, courses, master's level research classes, just trying to figure out what's the meaning of life and my purpose and all this stuff. And I got to this place where I built this life that I would not trade for my former life as an athlete. And I noticed that that was different according to my peers. A lot of my former athlete friends were like transition. They were doing well. They were making money. They're making an impact. But if you offer them a professional contract, they were out of there. <laughs> I wasn't. And, and that was because I had went through a process that they didn't go through. And that was the foundation. Well, let me ask you a question, Yeah, yeah please do. Um, first of all, thank you so much for your courage and vulnerability to share this with us today. I think the more people that hear the stories um, and relatability is offered and identification is offered, the more opportunity we have to get people yeah. the help that they need. So, um, and I, of course, identify with this a lot um, mm -hmm. as a suicide survivor myself. So um, my depression, I think everybody's depression is a little bit different. And I agree, I, once I had that one glimmer of hope, I was off to the races. My glimmer of hope came in um, my therapist telling me, asking me the question, are you having suicidal thoughts? Mm. And it wasn't until I was asked that specific question, which goes back to you mentioning when mm -hmm. we are sharing, you know, with people that we love, that we're going through a hard time, but we're not being asked that question or we're not offering a full truth. Right. We don't typically get the help that we actually need and deserve. 
Absolutely. So if he didn't ask me, um, are you having suicidal thoughts? I don't know if I'd be sitting in front of you today. Because I finally wow. said yes to that. And then I was offered antidepressants. And then my journey began. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that was 26 years ago. So wow. I want to know for you specifically, what was it? So you're there, you're, are you getting help? Are you seeing a therapist? Are you tell, tell us what, what helped you? Well, it was this shocking moment that I described when someone came to me and two different people came to me and said, will you say yes to your faith in your future? And I did. That was the, that was the pivotal moment. That's like, without that moment, there would be no me. Um, How I started to walk that out is I did, I became a student. Um, I also (laughs) saw a counselor, but that, that my first five or six counselors did more harm than good. And I think people need to know that because, you know, I quit on counseling multiple times or uh, psychiatric help, but it sometimes it takes a few times to get the right one. And so, uh, but that did help. Um, same thing with antidepressants, right? Like I was, I, I had took so many opioids. I didn't want more pills, but they were like, well, you know, you do have a chemical imbalance. And I was like, well, I don't care. I shouldn't need that. And, and I would try one, didn't do anything. I'll try another. It felt like I couldn't even cry. And so I was having all these crazy side effects to the medication that I just kind of gave up on it. Like, man, this stuff doesn't help or work. And I felt like a guinea pig. They were like testing out medications. We'll try this. We'll try this. And just didn't realize that that was part of the process um, until I finally found a medication that actually helped stabilize my, my, my levels and all that stuff. So um, it's a combination of a lot of different things. Um, you know, sometimes uh, medication helps depending on your body. Um, talking to people, um, both uh, personally and professionally, seeking professional psychiatric or counselor help. Um, and, and then being a curious, because I say this, a lot of times depression is rooted in insecurity. I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes. My life doesn't matter. And what, for me, one of the quickest ways to break insecurity was to be effective. So exactly what my insecurity was telling me I can't do, I did. Exactly what my insecurity was telling me I wasn't worth. Hey, quick interruption on this amazing podcast, but we have to tell you about our awesome sponsor, Thai Technology. They are so cool, and they're here in Tampa Bay, if you're a Tampa Bay listener. Thai Technology is the best voice over IP business phone service company out there. How do I know this? I used to work in telecom before I worked with doctors. That's right. So I know me a good phone system when I see it. Plus, they are integrated with Zoom. They are the only ones that are integrated with Zoom. And if you mention this podcast or you mention the Facebook show, they're going to hook you up with three months for free. Follow them on Facebook and on Instagram. Thai Technology Rocks. I tried to charge that price or whatever to try to prove to myself and these lying voices that, uh, that, that the opposite was true. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's amazing how much better life gets. And that's what I can't wait to hear about, because I know that that struggle was real. I had my own and, um, and I actually never thought I was going to get better. Mm. Um, I love that you mentioned you have to continue seeking out 
if a counselor isn't working, if you are not mm. meshing, if you feel an energy with somebody and you're like, you know, I just really don't like this dude. Yeah. You're probably not going to yeah. share yeah. your innermost thoughts with them. Right. So right. not giving up. It's kind of like, you know, I equated to like match.com. It's how I met my husband. <laughs> you know, in the beginning I was like, this is torture, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> so exactly. I think it, it's so it's so important that we we don't give up and um you know what's interesting and i'll share this with you daryl because you said chemical imbalance Mm -hmm. after i released my book last year in august i went down um another hole of mental health and and what was i really being told as a 21 year old who was depressed and i had i had actually suffered from severe trauma of course i was going to be depressed now i'm Mm -hmm. like left with my own brain and um I haven't done drugs or, or alcohol and I'm just supposed to sit with myself. Right. So I was feeling a lot of the after effects of the trauma. And my, my doctor was saying I had a chemical imbalance and low serotonin levels and all that stuff. But, you know, it turns out none of that stuff is true, you know? Um, and a lot of it is related to trauma. That's just for me. And we'll leave that for mm-hmm. another time because mm-hmm. I think that those conversations <laughs> are, are long and thoughtful. But yeah. what, you know, I know community was so important for me, um, and I would assume for you as, as well, especially since you mentioned that you're a pastor. So what, is, what has been your, uh, I want to I hear about you crawling out of this. Yeah, so I started to be effective at um, the opposite thing that insecurity telling me I couldn't. So I knew that I was called to share, like I'm doing now, and I was terrible at it. I was, like, that's not humility, that's accuracy i was terrible i have i have video footage to prove it um but uh i share i share this story often because it was it, it was pivotal to me um and i hope this helps somebody um i i shared at a conference it was an athlete conference and there's a line of people coming up to you saying thank you thank you thank you well there's this girl at the end of the line she's a 14 year old girl and um, she's dressed like an athlete, you know, wristbands, all this stuff. And she comes up to me and she pulls up her wristband and you can see the, the cuts on her wrist. And she said, uh, last year, my parents just dropped me off at an orphanage. I don't know why. And they just never came back. And I've been thinking that I w- wasn't good enough to be loved by anybody. And I've been cutting myself to deal with that depression. And I never told anybody until I heard your story and and saw that if a person who was a TEDx speaker, well, at the time, no, she didn't say TEDx, at the, a person who was a speaker um, and a former athlete can be vulnerable with their story and still be effective in life, then so can I. Amen. And it was that <laughs> that was like, it got me out of my funk. I was like, I have to do this more because I was so insecure about my ability to speak. I'm like, man, it's not about being impressive. It's about being helpful. And yeah. so just doing what I was called to do really helped me get through those depressing thoughts. I just had somebody come up to me yesterday. I got a purpose discovery course and they were like, I feel like I need to heal first before I take this course and kind of figure out what I'm supposed to do because I'm still struggling with depression and suicidal thoughts. And I said, um, yeah, there is some healing, but sometimes knowing that you have a purpose um, helps break through that, that rut of depression because depression is telling you that you don't have purpose. You don't have meaning. So when you find out that I do, wow, how much easier is that burden to carry? So um, those were things that just really helped me. Um, and, and yeah, and, and so now, you know, married in the building a successful marketing consulting practice, 
worked at Central Michigan University as a marketing professional, uh, rebranded the university as part of a team, won two higher education awards for marketing, rebranding, and communication, mm-hmm. uh, became a TEDx speaker, publishing a book that comes out October 20th, worked with the hundreds and hundreds of athletes, helped them transition out of sports, build businesses, do whatever they felt like they were uh, purposed and destined to do. And, um, you know, married with three beautiful, gorgeous daughters. Um, mm. And it all comes back to that one moment when I said yes to my faith in my future. If you, you're going to find whatever you're looking for. If you're looking for more reasons to validate that you're not worthy enough, you're not good enough, you don't matter, you're going to find that. But if you look for something that says you're worth it, your life matters, you can make a difference, you will find that. So I encourage everyone that's listening, find the thing that you're created to do. Mm, I love that so much. And I love that you're a father to three girls. I mean, (laughs) talk about a well-rounded man to be surrounded (laughs) by all of that. All women. All women. Love it. There's nothing wrong with that. So, you know, I shared this once before that um, um, I have a lot of resources that I give out to people when they're looking for help. And one of the um, places that I got stuck was when my my black friends were asking me for a black therapist. Mm. And I thought, well, that is, yeah, that is a tough one because I actually don't have anybody to recommend to you. So do you find, especially because I want to be, you know, as candid and as transparent and as vulnerable as possible, being this white woman talking to you, knowing that you are, uh, you are in an interracial marriage. Yeah. Has it been, have you thought after the same for your therapist? Did you feel like you had to be the same skin color? I mean, I'm trying to learn yeah. more about that yeah. myself so I can help others. Yeah. So I did not think that, but that doesn't mean that somebody's wrong if they think that. Um, um, I was more concerned about my Christian beliefs than I was about the color of someone's skin um, mm. because I didn't want anybody to try to tell me that, tell me advice that contradicted with like Christian biblical values. Mm-hmm. Um, which happened a couple of times, <laughs> just leave your wife. And I'm like, no, that's not the answer, you know? <laughs> and so, um, uh, but I, I know where that comes from. I don't like it. I do a lot of work mm-hmm. with minority communities just because I don't know, I'm black and married to white people. So I, I told everybody when, when all this racial tension started to rise to the surface, I was like, everybody's safe as black friends. <laughs> so like, Daryl, how, tell me more about black people. <laughs> so, oh, and, and I, I've got featured on Fox and all this stuff just to have that conversation, um, sure. you know, but I don't like the thought because um, it, it, it has nothing. Here's why, here's why the thought happens because a person who wants somebody that's black, the reason why they want that is they want to know that somebody can actually relate to their experience. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the problem is that when it comes to being a professional, mental health professional, you don't have to necessarily walk in everyone's shoes. You just have to be able to empathize and, and help people see the blind spots and the errors in their thinking process that's fueling their depression or the mm-hmm. pain that they've yet to deal with or confront. So they, they, they for, for instance, like they could know nothing about what it's like to live in poverty or be like systematically oppressed as a white counselor or psychiatrist, but they could be able to help you see how you have a poverty mindset because of those things and how do you break through that. So that's just a perfect example of like, they don't have to be able to 
necessarily relate to you or understand everything you're going through is they can still help you grow. And if you don't believe me, tell me how many coaches that there are who have never even played or been good at playing before, but they are great coaches. (laughs) So So I rest my case. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. You you drove on that point. I love it. So I do want to hear you brought up coaches. I do want to hear more about the second chance athletes. Um, I mentioned to you before we hit record that I have so many friends that are athletes, professional athletes, and, you know, they go into real estate or they go into um, hosting the latest daytime show. And, and I think it's incredible, but um, I'm sure that you're providing a tremendous amount of help um, being an athlete yourself. So tell me a little bit more about your company. Yeah. Um, So I'm going to give you an example that I know you can relate to um, having a past history with drugs. You cannot go from one drug to another and truly recover. Mm-hmm. You have to detox. Right. The problem is that when athletes transition from one job to a next, one career to a next, and they never process, it's the same thing. You have to detox. You've been doing this for 20 years, the average athlete, right? And so if you've been doing it your whole life, it's your identity. It's what people relate to you about you cannot just find a different thing so that they can just praise you for being a rock star salesperson or brand personality. And you never process this whole life that you have. Like you can't be married for 20 years, get divorced, get remarried in a year and think that you're not going to bring baggage into that new marriage. It's the same way with your life after sports. So when I mentioned early in the podcast episode that we had, um, that I started to notice I was at a place that my peers wasn't like, I wouldn't trade my current life for my former life as an athlete. They would. Um, I started to look at how did I get to this place? And I've went through and I developed a curriculum, which was the five phases of transition that I went through to go from suicide to success, right? The phases are accept, believe, discover, pursue, persist. That's the roadmap to how you grieve sport, find new purpose and build a more fulfilling life. Mm, I think that's fantastic. I think you're so right on too. I was just what, listening to Tom Brady on a podcast. Um, yeah. And I'm from I'm from New York, so I've never been a fan. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but um, like I'm so glad he's here in Tampa Bay. That's fantastic. I'm glad they won yesterday. But um, I was listening to him because now he has this brand. You know, he has this wellness brand, and he was so well. He first of all, he was so likable that it was annoying. And second of all, um, you know, he's always kind of known that he was not going to be this way. So he's been preparing for it mm-hmm. mentally, physically. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you're so right. I think every, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be a, an athlete for so long and then not be. And yeah. you do, you have to grieve everything. You grieve every relationship, you grieve every job loss. You know, I like to call them uh, tiny little traumas everywhere. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> how yeah. are we going to get through our tiny yeah. little trauma? We can't just go from one to another and expect, yeah. like you said, to yeah. uh, to heal and not bring some baggage to somebody else. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, so yeah. Daryl, um, before we leave out today, is there anything that you want to share with the audience about, um, because you are certainly a glimmer of hope into somebody that might be listening or watching that might yeah. be struggling themselves. What would you um, recommend to somebody that's struggling today? Yeah. So I think people that are struggling know that they're struggling and they'll reach out for help. I really do. I believe they'll have the courage. What I want to address in these last 60 seconds or so is the people who need help, but don't know they need it. Mm. There's athletes that I work with that I'm like, in the beginning of our relationship, the hardest thing to do is convince them that they need help. Just because you are happy or content doesn't mean that you have 
um, that you don't have pain to process. Mm. I know people who have been sexually abused as children um, who carry that their entire life and they find a way to be happy, but they never processed it. And it still impacts them whether they like to admit it or not. We actually have an assessment because it has nothing to do with how long you've played as an athlete. It has everything to do with your athletic identity, which is the degree to which you identify with your sport that determines how likely it is that you'll experience challenges, addiction, grief, those types of things. So our assessment helps you to know where are you at on that scale. It's really an awareness tool. So I encourage people to take it. It's like 47 bucks. Um, it'll let you know, hey, um, I have high athletic identity or low athletic identity. If it's high, then you just find some programming, some tools, some steps, do some things that we would suggest to you, read some of our blog posts in order to bring your full self to your current life. So I just want to encourage those people that don't think that there's not pain that you need to process just because you're happy right now. If you ask yourself the question on a scale of zero to 100%, how much of you are you giving the world, right? If the answer is less than 100, it's probably because there's undealt with pain. There's reservations, there's fears, and we help you work through all of that. Mm, I love that. Well, Daryl, I'm excited to share all of your information of how to get in touch with you and to check out that website. It'll be in the show notes. I appreciate you being with us today and thank you for your vulnerability and your courage to help somebody else because that's what we were put on earth to do. You got it. Thank you, Daryl. Thank you. Don't forget to check out Thai Technology. Anyone that mentions this podcast or the Facebook show will receive three free months of service. T-I-E Technology. Check them out. I appreciate you listening to the podcast. We would love it if you subscribed. This way you'll get notified every time there's a new episode, which in fact are Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Please feel free to leave a review. It really helps us and we appreciate your support. Thank you.